would take. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, hopefully that will help you all think of some questions. We'll take a few minutes at the end for some Q&A. But I grew up in East Tennessee, an hour north of Knoxville, in a really, really small hillbilly town in the Appalachia Mountains. So how did I get to the Amazon jungle? Well, I can confidently say, and this is going to sound very Christian-y, but I can confidently say that it was the Spirit of God. So I was 16 when I became a believer, and shortly after, I was hiking in the mountains like I always did. Um, This time I was overlooking the scenery and just thinking, man, I love being outdoors. Lord, I wish that there was a way that I could serve you and be outdoors, Amazon jungle. That just popped into my head. Well, that's where I didn't hear an audible voice or anything, but I like to joke that that's the most Pentecostal I've ever been. Where just boom. And I thought, oh, that's crazy. Um, so I talked to my family, my church, and they all said, Casey, that's crazy. But I couldn't shake it. So I just kept studying to figure out what would that look like. And that was almost 20 years ago now. And that's where I am. That's where I've been the last 10 years. So the Holy Spirit just spoke to me in that moment and said, go Amazon jungle. That's not normal. And I understand that the Lord does not usually move in those sorts of ways. But the Holy Spirit still does move in the hearts of every single believer for the Great Commission. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about our ministry and what we do, but we're also going to continue the sermon series that you all are in on the Holy Spirit and specifically tonight on his role in the Great Commission. So I think to get started with that, we first have to understand that we have a mission, right? So the first thing I want to note is that God gives us a mission. God gives us a mission. And I think a lot of believers don't realize this. Um, I think that a lot of times we put so much emphasis on the personal need to repent and believe. That you have to make this personal decision. No one can make this decision for you, which is all absolutely true. But we forget to talk about what happens after that. What happens when someone repents and believes? Well, they become part of God's kingdom, God's people, the church. There aren't, or at least shouldn't be, any individual Christians out there doing their own thing in the world. We are all part of God's people, the church. We're part of God's kingdom. And as a kingdom, God has given us a mission. And I know you all are well-versed in this, but let's look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. One of the clearest texts where Jesus gives us this mission. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That sounds wonderful, right? Like as Christians, we love this text. But this is hard. I don't know that we always realize exactly what Jesus is telling us to do. Go to all the nations. How many nations are there in the world? And then you get to the nations. How many people groups? How many languages? We're talking about all of these passport issues, immigration issues, visa issues. Then when we get there, language learning issues. Where we are in Peru, there's over 80 languages spoken just in that little country. And we're supposed to go to all of those languages all across the world. That sounds crazy. How in the world can we do that? It seems like Jesus has given us an impossible mission. The only way we could possibly do this is if Jesus was with us, right? Is if God was with us to do this. 
Thankfully, that's what Jesus Jesus promises to do, right? He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. But what's interesting is that Jesus says this, I'm going to be with you to make sure this happens. And then Jesus left. This was shortly before he ascended to heaven. So what's going on? Did Jesus lie to us? Did he give us this almost impossible task and then leave us alone? Of course not, right? He also said before this in John 16, 7, I'm going to go away. And it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him. So the helper, the Holy Spirit. Part of the incarnation, that Jesus was God, but when he became a man, he took on human flesh. Now, he's also human. He's God and man. That means that like us, he's in one place at one time. Right? So if Jesus is going with me physically to Peru... He's not here with you all in Bartlett. So for Jesus to go to heaven and then send us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is with all believers at all times in our hearts. That means that I can go to Peru. You can go here or throughout Bartlett, throughout Memphis, throughout Tennessee, to other parts of the world. And we all have the spirit of Jesus with us. We have exactly what we need to fulfill this mission. Jesus gave us the helper. So what exactly does the Holy Spirit do while we're on this mission? That's the next point, that God gives us a mission, and then he equips us to do it by giving us a spirit. God equips us to do it. Jesus gives another version of the Great Commission in Acts 1, verse 8. I'll read it quickly. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So again, Jesus is saying, you all are going to go to the ends of the earth, to these other countries, these other nations. But here it's a little different. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is before the Holy Spirit had come. So what does Jesus mean here? What type of power is he talking about? Does he mean that we're going to be invincible in the face of persecution? Well, no, the church is full of stories of martyrs, and we see that in Acts. They're being jailed, killed. Does it mean that we can do miracles at will? We can heal anyone anytime we want. Well, no, we know that's not true either. There wouldn't be any sick people in the hospitals. So what does Jesus mean that we're going to receive the Holy Spirit and have power to fulfill the Great Commission? So let's look at the verses that we read earlier in Acts chapter 4. We'll camp out here a little longer. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. So Peter and John, they're preaching, and they had just healed a man. And the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, see what's going on, see that there's this commotion. So they call the man to talk to them. And verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they didn't have their PhDs, they didn't have any seminary degree, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So these uneducated guys that have been with this fisherman from Nazareth, or this carpenter from Nazareth, are preaching boldly. And to prove what they were saying was true, they've healed this man. So now you've got the priests, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. Like, what in the world is going on? They see that they're uneducated. But yet this miracle was done. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't punish them, so they just threatened them. They said, don't do this anymore. Stop preaching. So here comes the persecution, right? The leaders of the city are saying, do not do this. 
These are the same leaders that condemned Jesus. They knew that these leaders had power to throw them in prison, to throw their families in prison, to kill them, to crucify them. So what happens? Peter and John go back to the church and they start praying. They go to the body of Christ to get help, to get support, and they pray together. The persecution was real. It doesn't say how they felt in this time, but I'm sure that they were scared, they were worried, they didn't know exactly what was going to happen, how this was all going to play out. But part of their prayer in verse 29 to 31 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So they're praying for boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They said, miracles are going to happen. They just assumed it. God's going to do miracles. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't ask God to stop the persecution. They see what's about to happen, and we see in a couple chapters later, they start killing Christians. They killed Stephen. So persecution starting. Stuff starting to get serious. They killed Jesus, and we're about to see they start going to jail. Christians start dying. So this is real. And they don't say, God, take this away. It's not bad to pray like that, but that's not what they did. They also didn't say, God, give us the power so that we can start healing more people to show them that what we're saying is true. They knew God was going to do that. They knew that God was going to give power, miracles um, with what they were doing. They say, while you stretch out your hand to heal, so you're going to be doing this, but we're going to ask you for something else. So what is it that they ask? For boldness. They were worried. They were afraid. They were shy in the face of persecution. And they asked God for boldness. So they were saying, God, you're going to do your thing. You're going to heal people. You're going to make Our words uh, have weight to them. People are going to realize that what we're saying is true, but we have to speak up for that to happen. And we know if we speak up, we could be killed. God, give us boldness. Give us courage. Let us not be cowards. Give us courage to speak up. So they needed God's help, the apostles, to speak the gospel, to speak about Jesus without shame, without fear. And that's what they asked God for. And you think God withheld that from them? No, God immediately sent the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And it doesn't say that they went out and started doing all these miracles again. It says they started speaking with boldness. So you don't see this often today, right? People um, out doing miracles and things. But you also don't see a lot of people out there speaking with boldness. Now, it's easy for us to be overseas and speak the gospel. You know, this is our job. This is what we do. But when we come back home... And we're with my family. You know, we've got the unbelieving cousins and, and aunts and uncles and everybody over. Like, we, like, oh, well, we're missionaries. We shouldn't feel, you know, ashamed of what we teach. And it's not shame that we feel. You know, we're just, uh, it's hard, right? And I assume you all know what we feel. We have to pray that God will give us strength, that he will give us courage, that we won't shrink back. So none of us here, I assume, are facing any sort of persecution like the apostles were facing, right? None of us are facing death for preaching Christ, thankfully, not yet. But if the apostles needed help, if they needed to pray and ask the Lord, give us the Holy Spirit so that we can have boldness, how much more do we need the same thing? So even though our situation isn't quite as severe as theirs, 
we all face the same temptation to shrink back and not preach Christ whenever we have the opportunity. So let's ask the Lord to give us that courage, the boldness. And as we see here, he is faithful to do it. God didn't equip us with the Holy Spirit because we don't need him. He equipped us with the Holy Spirit because we always need him. We always need his help. We always need the words to say when we don't know. The Holy Spirit will give them to you. Ask him. Oh, I know I should preach the gospel in this situation, but I'm afraid. Ask for boldness. And the Lord will be faithful to give it to you. So I like to think of it as I'm a coffee drinker. So in the afternoon, sometimes I'm like this. I see my to-do list. And there's so much stuff to do. And there's no way I'm going to get it done. So then I go make a cup of coffee. I'm halfway through. And then, whoo, Superman. I get it all done. Knock it out. That's like the Holy Spirit. He's in us. He's ready to give us that jolt that we need to do this. When it's out of our hands. When we cannot do it. When we can't do the Great Commission well because there's so much to do. God has given us that caffeine inside of us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. God himself, his spirit, lives within us and will equip us to do this if we ask him. It's also the Spirit's job not just to give us boldness, but to convict the people that we're talking about, to convict them of their sin. Jesus said in John 16, 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Spirit gives conviction and assurance of the gospel message. Right, so our message is that God created this world good. We're the ones that messed it up. We're the ones that brought sin in. And when this creature made from dirt rebelled against the God of the universe, instead of destroying humanity like God had every right to do, he showed us mercy and grace. And he continues to do so. He loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that we can't live to die in our place, and he was raised. And if we trust in him and repent of our sins, we will have eternal life just like he does. That is the beautiful message of the gospel that we have. And that is a message that is unbelievable to someone who is dead in his sins. I can give the best gospel presentation imaginable, and that person's not going to believe. I can answer all of their questions, that person's not going to believe. And he's not going to believe because he's dead in his sins. The only thing that will give that person new life is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that will convict him of his sin, breathe new life into him, and cause him to believe. And I'm so thankful for that. The Holy Spirit does a wonderful work in in people's lives. Because if it was left up to me, and I know that that person's not believing, that person's going to go to hell because I didn't say the right thing. Because I couldn't answer all of his questions. It'd be hard to live with ourselves. But we can trust the Holy Spirit to do His work. If we are faithful to proclaim the message of Christ, He will be faithful to bring people from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. And that's a good thing, right? Because again, we don't need to... And I feel like we all have this tendency, right? To just Maybe if I would have preached the gospel in a different way, I need to study more to be able to get it from a different angle. That may be true, right? There are different ways to tell the gospel to people. But we need to trust the Spirit and trust the Lord and ask Him not just for boldness, but that He will cause the Spirit to do His work in this person's life. So Jesus did not give us the Great Commission and leave us on our own. He graciously sent His Spirit so that we would have success. So that's the last point I want to make from the text, that God guarantees our success. God does not need Julie and me to reach the tribes of Peru. 
He does not need you all to reach Memphis. He does not need any of us to reach anyone. He could give everyone a vision of the gospel right now and cause everyone to believe if he wanted to. But God doesn't work that way. He has, for some reason, chosen to involve us in his plan to get the gospel to the nations. We are all sinful humans that have been redeemed. And we are inefficient and messy in the way that we do this. But that's how God has designed it. And even though it's not the most efficient way, we are guaranteed success. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. Because God has shown us what is going to happen in the future. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 is a vision of this. We get to see what the outcome will be. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, John is speaking of a vision of heaven. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This great multitude that have believed the gospel, that are there worshiping Jesus from all nations, they're there not because God sent everyone a vision to believe the gospel. They're there because regular Christians like you and me were faithful to share the gospel with others. God didn't use just the super apostles to go do this. He uses regular people like you and me. And what happens when we're faithful to do that? This, people from all tribes, nations, and languages will be with Christ Uh, praising him forever. God has shown us the outcome that through his church, the gospel will go out to all these people groups. We have to take the Holy Spirit with us because we will fail if we try to do it in our own power. But God has equipped us with him and God will do this work in their hearts. This is like a dad who has a toddler. You can barely walk and the dad says, here, go up this huge flight of stairs. And the toddler starts going and just keeps falling. He can't do it. But when the dad takes him by the hand and slowly helps him on each step, that kid is giving it his best effort. It is impossible on his own. His dad gave him an impossible task. But because his dad is with him every step of the way, when he falls, he's pulling him up. That child will succeed. There's no way he won't because his dad will make sure that he gets to the top. That's what God has done with us. He has given us a task that's way over our heads. But then he's with us every step of the way. Every time we fall, he picks us back up, fills with us with the Spirit, gives us boldness, gives us the words to say, convicts people of their sin, and then builds up his church even more. And we will succeed. So, to summarize, God has called us to be part of his people. Now, we're not just individual Christians doing our own thing. We are the church. You all are an active, faithful, local church here in Bartlett, Tennessee. You don't have to be preaching the gospel all over the world. You have to be preaching the gospel faithfully here. God has given you all, I'm sure, co-workers, family members, people that you love that don't know Christ. He's given you those relationships to proclaim Jesus faithfully. It may not be preaching on a street corner for everybody. Some of you, God may call to do that. But typically, it's through regular faithfulness. If you are a homeschool mom trying to disciple your kids well, if you work in a place where you're the only believer, trying to find opportunities to talk about Christ. It's the little things. And then there's also the big things. You know, some of you, the Lord may call to go. We've been praying for teammates for 10 years. Maybe the Lord will send someone to us. Um, there are so many places in the world that need the gospel. So don't count it out just because, oh, I'm, I've never thought about that. 
I was a hillbilly kid in the East Tennessee mountains, and God took me to the jungle. So God can do whatever he wants with you. You just have to ask him to do it. So this is what we are trying to do in the Amazon. Um, To give a brief background uh, for those of you that don't know us well, I first went over 10 years ago, and I assumed that I would be planting churches with tribes that didn't have churches. But after being there, we realized that almost all the tribes already have churches, but they were all very, very weak. Um, And when I say weak, I mean some of them had witch doctors as pastors. So just crazy stuff. And we realized that this had been happening because there wasn't teaching. People were quick to go into a village and evangelize and then leave, but there was no follow-up discipleship training. So they did the best they could with what they had, and that led to witch doctors as pastors. So instead of being the ones to plant the church, we felt the Lord calling us to stay and train the pastors that already exist so that they could have solid churches, and then they can be the ones that send out missionaries to these unreached tribes. And we mainly do that through seminary training um, based in our city called Pucalpa. And it's a big hub city in the Amazon. And there are tribes that live near it that speak really good Spanish. They're always passing through the city. So when they're there, they can come to our courses. And we're seeing their churches slowly become healthy. So if any of you all know about trying to revitalize an unhealthy church, it's not an overnight thing. This takes a long time. But slowly their churches are becoming healthy. But this is not an option for the more isolated tribes. So the main tribe we work with is called the Matses. And to get to them, we have to take a plane. It's a four-person plane that lands in the river, and it costs around $2,000 round trip. So if we want to bring in 15, 20, 25 Matses guys for a seminary training, that gets expensive very, very quickly. So we can't do it. We also realized that a lot of these unhealthy churches have pastors who have trained in our city. And they've trained at other Bible schools that aren't teaching bad stuff. So what was the problem? We thought about it, we prayed about it, and then we realized the problem was that you're taking guys who don't speak good Spanish, who have never been to the city, so they're out in the middle of the jungle, you bring them into this modern setting, teach them in Spanish, which they don't really understand, and how many of us understand the deep points of theology in English Right, it can be difficult. So when you try to teach that to a second language, it gets tricky. So then you ship them back off to their village. What do they do? Again, they try to teach the best they can, but they haven't been taught in a way that they can reproduce. So we prayed about it for a long time, and we uh, felt that the wisest way to reach these more isolated groups was to take our seminary training to them. So that's what we've done a little over three years ago, and we've now done that with two different tribal groups. So we go, we have our our curriculum, and everything is in one of their villages. And since it's only one uh, tribe present, we can teach in Spanish, and it can be translated. When we got 15 different tribes in our city, we have to teach in Spanish. We can't translate it into everything, right? But out there, we can take the time to make sure they understand everything well, that they can apply it in their own culture. And we have seen so much fruit from this. The Lord has really, really blessed the last uh, three years of this ministry. We're seeing their churches quickly become healthy. And with the Matzes, I'll give an example because I was told that we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. So in a recent course, uh, we taught on the Lord's Supper. And they said, hey, can we tell you how most Matzes churches do the Lord's Supper? I said, yeah, sure. You know, talk about it. So they said, normally the pastor will say, hey, next Sunday we're taking the Lord's Supper. So everyone knows. Y'all know. Okay. So now we are on uh, Communion Sunday. The pastor will say, Who all ate breakfast this morning? Raise your hand, please, if you ate breakfast. 
Anybody? How are you going to eat breakfast on communion Sunday? Don't you know it's a sin to eat breakfast before taking communion? Get to the back of the church. He'll kick them to the back. And then he'll say, okay, who all sinned this week? Anybody? Yeah. How are you going to sin knowing we were taking communion today? Get to the back of the church. So then the few liars who stay up front are the ones who take communion. And then they always will present these horrible cases to me and say, so is that good or is that bad? It's like, well, let's talk about this. That's bad. So things like that that are funny to us, right? It's so absurd that it's funny, but it's serious for them. And they're being hurt by the church. And the pastors are doing these things, not trying to be horrible pastors. They legitimately think that that's God's will. So these are the things that we're able to see and address. And because of that, and because things like that are very easily you know, debunked, showing the Bible, we're seeing very quick change and we're seeing fruit very quickly. And we're very thankful that in August we had our first graduating class of 14 Matze students. And that was after three years of very hard work. And uh, again, we just could not be more pleased with the way that the Lord has brought these men from their first course to the end. We've seen them grow so much. Um, About half of them are currently pastors. The other half are hoping to become pastors. One of them has already planted a church in his village. And the others are actively trying to take mission trips to the Matzes villages that don't currently have churches. So not only have they been trained in the Bible, in theology, they understand their call to the Great Commission just like we do, just like you all do. So we are very excited uh, for these 14 men and their future. And what really excites us about the Matzes is their location. So if you uh, remember some of the panoramic scenes in that video, you had the river, you had their village, and on the other side of the river was just jungle, right? Well, the other side is Brazil. They live right on the border. And on the other side uh, is a big reserve that has all these uncontacted tribes. And no one is allowed in. Peruvians can't go in. Brazilians can't go in. uh, But the Matzes can because they're tribal. It's right on their territory. They can go in and do whatever they want. And right now they have not wanted to go in because they know if we try to make contact, that's dangerous. right? You all have heard stories. You've seen Jim Elliott stuff. Um, There's probably going to be deaths. We hope not. But they have never wanted to try to get them the gospel. They now realize, hey, these other tribes are sinful as well, just like us, and they need the gospel. And if you've seen National Geographic stuff, um, they like to say, oh, these uncontacted tribes live in this Garden of Eden-like culture. Everything's perfect. We don't need to mess with them. They are liars. Um, The Matzes are a great example. They were just contacted 50 years ago, and they were famous for brutally raiding other villages murdering all the men and keeping the women as slaves. And that's what all the uncontacted tribes do. So they do want to stay uncontacted because they think anyone else that's not of their people is going to try to do that to them. They're terrified. So it's a half-truth to say they don't want to be contacted. So uh, the Matzes, every year, their biggest holiday is called Contact Day. And they celebrate that they don't have to live that way anymore. One, that they're not doing that to other people, and now they don't have to worry about other tribes doing that to them. So now they're not going yet. They're starting with their own people, but they understand they need the gospel. They are sinful just like we are. We got to go. So pray that the Lord will raise up some people that will go to them. But we realized that we're focusing on the current pastors. What about the next generation? And this came about when one of the pastors, uh, who was an older man, he was actually the guy who made contact 50 years ago. 
And he came to us and said, Casey, when I was a teenager, I was living naked in the woods in a loincloth. Now teenagers have cell phones. I don't know what I'm doing. How can I reach them? Uh, So we talked through it, and we decided to do youth camps. So this was our second year of doing Matze's youth camps. And the first year we had 60 students. This time we had 120. And it's been crazy and fun, and uh, we've seen a ton of fruit from that. The pastors are saying that youth are active in church. um, They're repenting. And we even, I always have to clarify this, but we even um, got to do a wedding for two campers at the end of this last camp. So that sounds weird, right, that two campers get married. Um, But in tribal culture, by 1415, you already have your family. You already have kids. You know, so this one young teenage couple realized that we're living in sin. We need to to get married. So it was a beautiful example of the gospel changing their sinful culture. So that's us in in a nutshell, I guess. Uh, We are also involved in some Bible translation work for the Matses. Julie can do some of the um, uh, medical work. She is not a doctor. She's always very clear. I am not a people doctor, but the nearest uh, medical clinic is 20 hours by boat. So whenever a kid chops his foot up, you know, trying to cut firewood or something, they go to Dr. Julie. So Julie has been awesome out there with us. And we hope that you all are excited about this. Um, this church has supported us for several years now, and we're excited to have you all as supporters. But if you are not excited, we ask that you get excited. Because the Lord is doing great things. The Lord is doing great things in the Amazon. And these things will only continue if his people come together and pray. So please pray for us. Uh, Julie, I think Julie has our prayer cards right now. Um, it's got the information on how you can join our newsletter group via Facebook, or we also send them through um, emails as well. And also has information on how to give. Um, so we have to raise all of the funding for these ministries. So if you would be interested in supporting us with monthly um, or helping cover some of the seminary courses or things like that. That would be wonderful. And we also are looking for teammates. So long-term teammates would be amazing, but we're also open to short-term teams. We would love to have a short-term team from West Tennessee come down and visit the jungle with us. So Ashley, please pray for us as we are heading back to Peru in December, and we prepare for the next group of Matze students in March. So I'm going to pray right now. And then we will show another really short video that summarizes everything I've said. So if I put you to sleep, this video will hopefully be a good summary and you can catch up. So I'll pray for us. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Um, Thank you for calling us to faith, though we were so sinful and undeserving. um, And that you have not just called us to faith, but you have made us part of your mission to do the same with others throughout the world. God, we are just overwhelmed by the fact that you would choose to use us. And we know that we cannot do it on our own. We need the power of your spirit. God, fill us with your spirit. Um, Give us boldness to preach Christ. Give us the words to say. And let those words fall on receptive ears, God, that only comes about by the spirit working in that person's heart as well. Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
questions or we can end and we can hang out later. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure of the time. Okay. If y'all have questions, real quick, they've seen in movies that when you graduate, you're supposed to throw your hat up. So they wanted to do that. That was fun. Yes, sir. Yeah, you were talking about the doctors and mm -hmm. other pastors who are ignorant of that as a respectful yeah. uh, adjective. Uh, are you seeing them conform and repent and convert? Or are you seeing mm -hmm. them leave the excommunicated or just yeah, good question. Um, the question is if we're seeing like these pastors that don't know a lot when we try to teach, if we're seeing them turn around or just leave. So we have specifically tried to only focus on those who are receptive. Um, so the Matses are very receptive. They're too receptive. So anyone that goes in and says, I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary, let me teach. So a lot of false teaching has come in because of that. Um, and other people have said, no, no, what you're teaching is bad. It's like teaching that you can eat breakfast on communion Sunday is bad? Like, come on. Um, so there are some that we don't mess with because they don't want us. So we're happy to say we're here to help. We don't need your help. Okay. So some of them, yes, but a lot of them, no. Yes. Yeah, so we did not limit the seminary to men, but only men signed up. Um, but it was open to anyone in the village who wanted to come. We would just give priority to the students for things. So we frequently had women that would sit in just because they wanted to learn more. Yes, this would be good. How do we do weddings? Um, it's actually funny because I was trying to think through the, good, the best way to do it without bringing in Western culture and you know, bouquets and that sort of thing. Um, and then they come and say, oh, no, we already have a bouquet. We have a white dress. We have all this stuff. So, again, they've seen movies, so they know this is what a wedding is. So it looked very much like an American wedding. How invited? Uh, incredibly. So that's one reason why we're in Peru, because Brazil uh, makes it very difficult to go to their tribes in a lot of ways. Colombia, the same thing. Venezuela is its own problems. Um, Peru is wide open. So come do what you want. But again, that's also caused problems because really bad teachers have gone in as well and are doing what they want. So. Um, our seasons is really hot and sunny or really hot and rainy. But December is when rainy season starts, and that's mango season. So all of December, mangoes are everywhere. There's so many trees everywhere, they just fall on the street. So I love mango season. Yes? What do we eat? When we're in the city, we eat well. Peruvian food is very good. When we're in the village, um, a lot of fish, a lot of bananas, and a lot of monkey I try not to. No. Monkey is not appetizing. Yes. Mm -hmm. We try to be outside as much as we can. We like it. Yes. I have not. Um, Julie has seen, I don't know what we would call it in English, but the size of a bobcat. 
um, that's come up on her before, but she was okay. But we know people who have been attacked by jaguars. So. Yeah, so they don't have any grocery stores, so they hunt fish and farm for their food. Um, so they're always, someone in the family is always fishing or hunting. And sometimes there's not anything. So when we had 120 students in a village, uh, I think there were three or four days in a row where they had no protein source. There was no meat or fish. Because to get protein for that many people, for that many days, it was a lot. So they're used to it. Hmm. Yes? Peru is 100% soccer. So when the Peru team plays, the whole city basically shuts down and everyone watches. It's a little of both. Um, they would like more women training on how to do that well. Uh, but the men are the more trained of the not very trained. <laughs> So typically just through regular church services. Um, but there are some women's ministries. And, and what's, the, what's the look in, in the village of marriages? Are they generally like healthy, like monogamous relationships? What's the, yeah, what is the family dynamic typically like? Yeah, um, there are still some polygamists. So that'll have, they usually only have two wives. And it's a very practical reason. They'll say more than two wives, you can't feed everybody. Um, so they'll say, okay, every wife have six to ten kids. That could be 20 kids if with two wives. I'd have to go to the field this many hours. No, I can't do that. So they're very practical when they read, like, Solomon had a thousand women. Like, how, in the, how many fields did he have to work? Um, so typically there is a lot of adultery. Um, it's very common. Even, you know, we had a 15-year-old kid in the camp say, ask us, how can I stop committing adultery? Um, so it's very common. A lot of them will get married. And then they'll start to live with uh, one of their families. It, it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's the husband's family, sometimes the wife. But then there will also be, if they're with the husband or the wife's family, she's going to have sisters. And they're all living in the same house. So it just kind of breeds adultery. So it's usually with family members. Hmm. Yes? Um, I'm really good at stepping on sticks. No, but, um, You'll see, like in movies and things, the piranhas and that sort of thing. They're there, but they don't bother you. So you don't have to be worried really about anything. Yes? In the city, they're usually built out of brick uh, with a tin roof. And in the village, it'll be wood with a leaf roof. Yes? We see a lot of snakes. We kill them quickly. <laughs> yes? Shotgun. So they will still use bow and arrow, but shotgun's easier. So it's hard for them to get shells, but if they can get shells, definitely a, a shotgun. And then the frog, uh, they were getting off poison from it that they then burn into themselves. And that it's a natural antibiotic, a natural stimulant. Um, 
And if they're going to go on a three-day hunting trip, they'll do the frog, and then they go three days without sleeping, and they feel great. So, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, um, Peru has a fairly high literacy rate in the cities. The villages, it depends on the tribe. So the Matses are one of the more isolated tribes. They don't speak Spanish hardly at all. There are very few that speak good Spanish. Um, but they, they've had a New Testament in their language, but a really bad translation that they just got retranslated. And um, hopefully in March, we'll be able to take those new Bibles out to them. And then they're going to start working on the Old Testament early next year. But they can all read their language, uh, the Matzais at least, and they're very prideful about it. So I'll say, okay, here's this verse, we'll skip over it. And no, 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 we want to read it. So they, they can read well. Yes? So my question is, uh, what was the biggest challenge for you personally, and how has the Lord allowed you to overcome that, or is he still working on you to overcome that? <laughs> Definitely still working on me. <laughs> um, biggest challenge was probably... I've never been asked that before. Good question. Biggest challenge was probably um, trying to fit into the leadership role where I've always felt like I was a very good number two guy but never the one to initiate the things and then to be the one that carries everything out. So now, like, a problem will arise and I'm looking around like, who's the person in charge to fix this? Oh, it's me. You know? So uh, I'll say that and definitely still working on that. Um, All right, so... We're going to hang out. We're going to be at the fellowship afterwards. So if you all have any more questions, then we'd love to catch up and talk. So thank you guys very much. When we come to our time of having the Lord's Supper and... As reading through uh, this Puritan Thomas Watson, 